Rewind with Oshin Langan. Has a run into the pens here. Goes down on the press. Penalty! 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 Yushua scores! And listen to the roar! Leicester City rescue what could be a crucial point. Andy, there's no better person to ask about what happened right at the end of that game. Did you touch him? No. Basically went up to close him down and and he's went over. It's a wonder strike from Conor McGraw. More the preventable, the possibly the were preventable, and we'd look at it again, and um, you'd be hoping, obviously, when, when things like that happen, you've got to learn from them, and the trick is to learn from the things that happen today. Rogic, he's missed! After this uh, game, it's, it's hard to talk about those things. It's, uh, it's a lot of emotions going on, but with bad results, then you, you get, uh, of course, the questions. This is the Rewind on News Talk. Coming up, we've got more on all of that, including Paddy Mulligan on football, Irish independent writer and former Offaly defender Michael Verney on the hurling, and Rob Murphy on Connacht's journey to the promised land. Now, Rangers got back to the promised land of the Scottish Premiership a few weeks ago, and yesterday they reached the Scottish Cup final by beating Celtic on penalties. As you can hear, Hoops boss Ronnie Dyla knows how big a loss that is. More to come from Don Cusack, Derek McGrath, TJ Ryan and Brian Cody in a while. Also, we'll hear from Wexford's Ursula Jacob on inter-county retirement, breakthrough All-Irelands and Camogie coverage. First though, it's football and Paddy is here. Paddy, a draw for Leicester, but they got a stroke of luck, didn't they? Yes, they, they they probably did. And, they, and, and you know, any team that, that goes on a run like Leicester are on uh, deserves a bit of luck. I certainly didn't think it was a penalty with the coming together of of of, uh, of Andy Carroll, uh, not by a long shot. But however, look at uh, they they got that penalty and uh, Joe just you know absolutely uh, buried it. But uh, before that, um, the referee must he, he should have given a penalty when when Hoot was dragged around the neck straight to the ground. I mean that should that should have been a penalty. But they're not inclined to give penalties for for stuff like that. Although having said that, he gave a penalty against Morgan. Now he called the two players together. Uh, uh, prior to that, Hoot and, and, and Morgan warning them that if this happened again, um, that he he would he would uh, take action. Now, for me, he shouldn't be doing that. That should be done in the dressing room. Yeah. You know, either by the manager or, or let the referee put the dressing room and say, look, if there's any uh, any grappling in the 18 yard box, it's going to be a penalty straight away, because this is something that that, that is has just crept into the game over the past number of years, and I certainly I don't like it. Um, uh, and and the referee. Um, Gave that I, I think gave that second penalty yep. uh, for Andy Car- uh, against Andy Carroll in the hope of making up for the one that he should have given for for uh, who's getting dragged around the place. You'd have to feel sorry for Andy Carroll. Let's hear what he had to say after the game. He spoke to off the ball commentator Nathan Murphy. Andy, there's no better person to ask about what happened right at the end of that game. Did you touch him? No, um, I went off, knew exactly what he was going to do. You know, take a take a touch past me, and it was stupid for me to even think about taking a tackle you know and I've ran up and stopped my foot hasn't went out to win the ball to try and trip him to win the ball at all you know it's basically went up to close him down and and he's went over after you got the two goals you did look quite comfortable Leicester down to 10 men they were struggling to really make an impact in those closing five or six minutes when you make a tackle like that did you sense with the atmosphere with all the decisions that had gone before that the referee was was almost looking to make a big decision well that's the reason why I didn't make the tackle that's one of the reasons why I didn't he was going nowhere the ref was on it up from the beginning you know not not making the right decisions and uh, that's one of the reasons why I didn't make the tackle 
Now he says he didn't make the tackle, but we saw it even before a couple of weeks ago with Crystal Palace and Damien Delaney. Okay, he made contact, but he kind of lunged in and it looked bad. So is that what players have to learn? Well, well, don't lunge in, even if you don't make contact, even if it's not a penalty. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to be sensible when you're in your own 18-yard box. You just can't dive in. But then Andy Carroll is not a defender, so he wouldn't have a de- he wouldn't have a defender's mind. Defenders, uh, by and large, will not dive in. You must jockey, you must jockey the man and make sure he goes the way that you want him to go, not the way that he wants to go. And 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 that and that's not being done. That's that's actually a lost art, uh, Oshin, because I, I I I see defenders now who who people rave about uh, just diving in for the sake of diving in, trying to make a tackle, trying to make contact. But certainly yesterday yesterday with Andy Carroll, there was contact, but it was with the shoulder. And as far as I was concerned, it was, it was shoulder to shoulder. Mm. And look, at, it was a coming together of the, of the, of the two players. Uh, no, no, situ- no, no, no penalty as far as I was in, in my mind. And yeah. I, 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 always, I just feel that Moss was trying to make up for the one that he didn't give uh, when, when yeah. Robert Hooth was, was, was nearly strangled uh, and, and taken to the ground. And that, that's the one that he should have given. And then he, he wouldn't have heard about the Andy Carroll situation at all. Footballing karma. Raf Diallo of Team 33 and off the ball also with us. Um, mm-hmm. Raf. West Ham manager Slavan Bilic has said in the last week or two that he'd actually fancy their chances of finishing above Leicester next season, given the fact that they actually largely have a better squad. Uh, in retrospect, and having watched these two collide, what do you make of those comments now? Well, the thing is, um, we're, there's that question, is are Leicester kind of having a one-off season? Are they going to be the same next season? I would actually, I'd have my doubts. Uh, teams tend to work each other out as time goes on and it's not like Leicester are kind of like a Man United or an Arsenal of old or, you know, where they had this kind of squad that you kind of felt that there was maybe more young players pushing through and they'll they'll add a new dimension. West Ham, though, they're moving into a new stadium. Lots of money uh, that will come with that as well. They've got a really good squad, as you said. Um, some excellent players in there. Uh, they've always had a good academy, although we, I suppose we haven't seen too much of that over the last few seasons. So I would, yeah, I'd fancy them to finish above Leicester. Um, that obviously doesn't mean that they're next they're, season. They're, yeah, next season. Yeah, that they're going to fancy. Well, falls from the bottom, is it? <laughs> yeah, that they're going <laughs> to go like from you know from uh, from uh, or, or above Leicester to win the league. Like you know, I don't, I can't see that happening. But uh, definitely, they they can fancy their chances of uh, finishing above the Foxes. And Raf felt so passionate about that point, he bashed the microphone. By accident. Can you believe that? <laughs> As I always sure, do. sure. Accident. Typical Raf. Classic Raf. <laughs> Paddy doesn't agree with him. He throws his suitor out of the pram. You better uh, believe it. Absolutely. Um, Paddy, Arsenal with another... Horrific. Yeah, that's the word, actually. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a fair enough comment, Jim. Horrific performance. Yet One all with Crystal Palace, just in case people missed it. Yes, and, 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 and Arsenal didn't show up at all. Yes, they, they, they could have won the game by two or three and had it sewn up, but that's the problem with Arsenal, that they don't have the mental capacity to finish off teams. And there, there's, a, there's a real mental weakness there. And, and that's something that Wenger has failed to address over or, over the, the past number of years. Now, uh, well, does that mean that Wenger uh, has a weak mind as well? That's yeah. the next question, because he keeps buying these weak-minded uh, players who have no will, no desire, no passion to go and, to go and do the dirty work and win, and win the tackles and, and when they yeah. shouldn't be winning tackles and, and, and getting in, among, uh, getting in among, uh, amongst the opposition. They're not, they're not doing that. And um, they all want to play the fancy football, and, that, and that's and that's wonderful when when they when they combine it with with, with the rest of what goes on. And it's all it's always the simple things. They just don't do the simple thing and they don't do it well. Yeah. And that's that's where where Arsenal have huge 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 problems. Phil Thompson said on News Talk Breakfast this morning that he doesn't think Arsene Wenger will be there next season, Raf. But there is no obvious replacement, and maybe the one that was there. And I hate to quote Piers Morgan, is Jurgen Klopp, and he's obviously taken them. 
Klopp is taken. But anyway, I think even if Klopp come in, it would be a complete culture change to what uh, Wenger has there. Just uh, completely different styles, um, personality and playing-wise. But yeah, no, the uh, I think Wenger has kind of spoken about committing himself for another uh, for the final year of his contract, which will be next season, uh, maybe even going beyond that, although I can't really see that myself unless they went on to win the league or something yeah. next year. Um, it's... You and know, they keep saying that every year after, don't yeah, they? Yeah, but you see, Wenger's always felt that secure that you never, re- you've never really, there's never really been that much concerted talk about who's going to come in and follow him. Mm. That's a dangerous thing, is that like the same thing happened with Man United, where of course there was talk about okay, there might be this successor, there might be that one, um, and then they got Moyes, and uh, you know, you it, and it's not just David Moyes' fault what happened at United, but uh, as we're that transition clearly can seeing be now, yeah. yeah. Um, how do you think Jurgen Klopp would have done with this bunch of Arsenal players? It's a pointless conversation, Paddy, but it's football, correct, so we're allowed correct. to have these pointless conversations. You're, you're right about we're allowed point indulge. We're allowed Look, indulge. He's, he's at Liverpool, and I'm a Liverpool fan, and long may he remain at Liverpool, and he's, he, he's, doing, he's doing very, very well at Liverpool at this moment in time, and I can see him do, do even better. But Jurgen Klopp is the type of man that he could manage at, at, at nearly every club yeah. in, in the Premier League without, without any problem. He's a, he's a top-class manager. He's, he's, he's also a very good uh, psychologist. Yeah. And, and he has Sturridge playing again. Now, with the Sturridge is playing again to get himself into the Euros is not uh, next next uh, July August. We'll will tell a tale with, with, with Daniel Sturridge. But certainly, uh, Klopp is getting uh, the best out of him. The best I've seen from Daniel Sturridge since since the the Suarez uh, era. We'll talk about the FA Cup semi-finals in a moment. But first, Jurgen Klopp after yesterday's two-one win against Bournemouth had a bit of a Jurgen type Barney with the journalist about Daniel Sturridge. Uh, the journalist was asking about Dan Sturridge and the fact that you know he's putting games together and how he's a big help to Liverpool and basically saying that Liverpool wouldn't be the team they were in that game if it wasn't for Dan Sturridge, but uh, Jürgen wasn't having any of it. No, that's how you understand football. You work really in sports. One player can win a game. One player can score a goal. And with a cross or not? We live on different planets. We live on different planets. What do you make of Jurgen Klopp's comments? Yeah, he, lives, there? he lives on different planets because sometimes some, some people in the media just want to uh, um, pick out one particular player, and, and this is this is what I suspect that the, that uh, that man from the media was doing yesterday and, and saying how look at how, how great yeah. Sturridge is. But Sturridge, Sturridge, don't don't don't. Uh, let's not forget Sturridge missed two wonderful chances yesterday. Hit the crossbar and hit the upright. Where, where two years back they were going to be, they, they would be stuck in the back of the net. And also since he's come back, he, he hasn't been as he hasn't been as fit naturally enough because of, of all the injuries that he's had. But uh, Klopp had to give him a bit of a rocket there um, a few weeks ago and again. I, and I saw him verbally having a having a having a cut at storage, and he was quite right because storage wasn't doing any work. Now when he came on against Dortmund, he was a breath of fresh air because all of a sudden he started sprinting, and for the for the for the winning goal he did magnificently well. And getting the the short free kick from Milner, uh, yes, his first touch was terrible. He came back out of the eighteen yard box, but he got back into the eighteen yard box, took his man on, played it through to Milner, Milner uh, across to the far post for for Lovren. So Sturridge, Sturridge is Sturridge is a very very good player. Let's be very clear about that. But he's got to learn that it's a team game, and he's, he's got to play for the team, and not just, it's not just about Daniel uh, Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, um, I suppose they've, they've definitely made progress anyway, Liverpool, uh, undoubtedly. But uh, again, it, next season it's going to be maybe a step towards yeah. maybe... And it wouldn't have been hard enough to make progress yeah. either. Let's be <laughs> yeah, very, to what was there before. Yeah. Fan, but let's be very, very clear about that because it was, it was absolutely appalling to watch some of the stuff. Yeah, um, top four will probably be the target next season because uh, dreaming of Premier League titles is a bit of a... It, a dream. Know, it, it ta- yeah, it takes, <laughs> yeah. A few, it takes a few years to build towards Listen, that. Listen, it's Jürgen Klopp, not Walt Disney, that's managing Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wonder in the past few years, 
Spurs who was manager of Liverpool I thought it was Walt Disney uh, but in terms of the squad that's there who would you actually keep or do you think that sh- it should be b- kind of built around I know we're kind of talking again of picking out one player here or there but there must be a few maybe Sturridge maybe an Origi as well seems to be doing, doing well oh yeah and, 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 and Chan has come right into, into play with, uh, when, he, when he's played in his proper uh, position which is, which is in midfield so I mean you, you certainly wouldn't be ruling him out um, you've got to get your back four sort there that's, that's 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 for starters. You know, central defenders are 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 very are very very iffy. Yes, they became heroes last last um, last Thursday night when when Sacco and Lovren scored. But we're talking about them as defenders, and and uh, they leave a lot to be desired. Now, in fairness, Lovren Lovren has has improved a, a little bit, but you know he, he needs to show far more improvement than that. But Origi Origi has been a bit, has been a breath of fresh air for for Liverpool, and that he he has so much so much pace to the front line. Um, midfield, you're going to have to you're going to have to persevere. Chan, but unfortunately, China is going to be out and could be out for, uh, to, until until uh, until pre-season. The way things have uh, gone for him, but he's got, uh, but certainly um, he needs at least, in my estimation, Klopp will need at least six or seven players uh, brought in to to uh, the Liverpool squad. No no question about that. Let's talk about the Emirates FA Cup semi-finals next weekend on Saturday. Everton taking on Manchester United. It kicks off at five fifteen in Wembley. Everton could well be without Seamus Coleman which is a worry for them and it's a worry for us yeah and it's looking it's looking very much like a, if it is a hamstring isn't that O'Shane the, the, the second time now in the past few months that yeah. he's had an issue with, with, with hamstrings and guys and who play like Coleman who accelerate and burst over short spaces no, they're, 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 probably they're probably more, they're probably yeah, more prone to, 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 a, to a hamstring injury but that, that, it depends now on his recovery rate and let's hope that in the next three or four weeks that, he, that he's going to be uh, okay I can't see him uh, being right for, for, for this weekend uh, not, with a, not with him uh, limping off the way that he did at, at, at the weekend so it's going to be a big ask but from an Irish perspective we're hoping that he's going to be okay for the, for the Euros Certainly um, just looking at kind of the Irish players there as well uh, Darren Gibson kind of jumps out to me um, I or just I, jumps out with a bit of luck he will <laughs> yeah um, I think he's pretty much a goner, isn't he? For this oh yeah, summer. well, yeah, there's sure not, not a hope. I know he's starting. He got a he's he been got a game starter for weekend, some, yeah, for yeah. some quite consi- considerable time, as far as I would be concerned. And Martinez might not be there next year either. That's a that's a that's another consideration, irrespective of whether they go and win an, an FA Cup or not. I'm not so sure that's going to save uh, Martinez. Yeah, Jurgen Klinsmann was linked to the role last week, but he himself denied it via Twitter. Uh, let's move to the Sunday Cup final, semi final. I beg your pardon. Or Watford it, taking on. Maybe it is the final. <laughs> Watford taking Maybe you know on. something we don't know, O'Shane. Watford taking Mystic on. Mystique O'Shane, huh? Well. <laughs> Travels again. There's certainly a mystique around me. He's on a high after the day show. Watford yesterday. taking on. I'm on a Watford. high because of the hurling. <laughs> Watford, Watford. Watford. <laughs> Watford taking on Watford. Right? Watford Fair against Crystal Palace. Give us your Good prediction. Stuff. Watford against Crystal Palace. Well, what a, I'll tell you something. What a, what a difficult game it is, particularly. Yeah. Watching, watching Palace yesterday and, and, and watching Watford at the weekend, you'd say, well. This this could be a real damn squib. Now it'll either be one or the other. It'll either be a, a, a smashing game between two mediocre teams, or it'll, it'll, it'll really be a nothing game. Um, you'd nearly have a fancy for Watford yeah. because of the the, the front men. Um, I, I just think that that the likes of Troy Deeney, Gallo, I think that they they could just be the match winners and and uh, maybe turn turn Palace over. I'd love to see Palace come on and, and not alone uh, um, beat Watford and Sunderland, go and win uh, win the trophy. But I think it's I think it's a bridge a bridge too far somehow or another. Yeah, now, Damien Delaney was magnificent yesterday for uh, for Palace again against Arsenal. He played really really well. Yeah, he was in fine form in his post match TV interview. A lot of um, work to be done between now and the weekend. We're talking about the cup semi finals next weekend, but of course Everton have to play Liverpool first yeah, before all big, that. Is that a good distraction to have? 
<laughs> it's a wonderful section for Liverpool to have as well. Um, Johnny and Anfield it, this it, Wednesday. Johnny and Anfield on yeah. Wednesday, yes, and, and uh, it's a it's going to be a big ask for for uh, for Everton because they've uh, they played the weekend. They've got this game against uh, Liverpool, and then they've got the cup semi final on, on on Saturday. So it's a huge week week for Everton Football Club, and I can't see them uh, beat Liverpool on on, on Wednesday. And maybe the, maybe United they might come undone against United too on Saturday. So that would be a, a, a horrific week if, if, it, if it turned out like that. And just before I let you go, Newcastle playing uh, tomorrow night. That's Tuesday, depending on when you're looking. Well, it's Tuesday, yeah. no matter when you're listening to the podcast, whether you're listening later in the week or early in the week. But it's or on even, Tuesday or even next year. We're talking about, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're talking about this on on Monday afternoon with Paddy Mulligan. Uh, they're playing Manchester City, and Newcastle are going to stay up now, having having yes, beaten if, Swansea at the weekend. If City play. Half as well as they played against uh, the geriatrics from Chelsea last Saturday, they'll they'll uh, they'll beat Newcastle. City were very very impressive, and I was just saying to myself watching it, I said, well, well, why haven't you been doing this for the best part of the season? You'd be up there challenging for the league title, but they 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 have their they have their lapses, and and when when City have a lapse, it's uh, it's yep. it's with uh, devastating effect that so many players go off the boil. But on 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 uh, on Saturday and in the Champions League, they were they were really ready for 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 the game. And uh, I, I suspect uh, now they've got the confidence back, and let's hope it, it remains with City because they're, they're a smashing team to watch when they're in full flow. That they'll uh, prove too difficult a hurdle for, for uh, Newcastle to overcome. And Pellegrini was not happy that Sergio Aguero didn't make the shortlist for the Player of the Year. Would you yeah, agree? I agreed, agreed totally. Yet so, again, by the way, so, yeah, Sergio happened, Aguero yeah. is, a, is a wonderful, wonderful player. You know, he's such, such a gifted finisher. Yeah, Magnificent! Can't, can't figure, can't, I cannot figure that one out for the life of me. It's odd for a player as prolific as he is, but he does seem to kind of get overlooked when we're kind of in all these kind of conversations. I know sometimes, like I almost always think of him as an afterthought, even though he's arguably the best player in the in the league. You could make that argument that he is. Oh, yeah, certainly, he's certainly, he's certainly the best striker in the league. There's no yeah. question about himself and Vardy. But yeah. I mean, Aguero's done it over a few seasons. I think and only, he keeps yeah. and he keeps coming back to go and do it. I think the uh, only thing with Aguero, because we never really see him speak. That if he was much, English, if yeah. he was English. Well, yeah, if you think you get talked about yeah. more, but I think we don't. They'd I don't think him. we really know him either because mm. I don't. I haven't. I haven't really seen a long sit down yeah. interview with him. Yeah, either. but I'm only. I, I would be only interested, Rav, in, in 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 what he does on the pitch. I don't care if he doesn't do any interviews. I don't care if 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 he can speak the language or not speak the language. All I know is that he's a wonderful player to go and watch, and that's all I'm really interested in. And and it's a it's a it's a shame uh, that that he hasn't that he's been overlooked yet again. The Player of the Year prize is voted on by the players. So that oh, and, what itself, they know about and and by the way, they vote before the season ends. So in 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 two ways, it's majorly fa- fa- uh, uh, fa- faulty as a, as a, as a kind of a prize as a, as a thing. Yeah, it should it should be at the end. It should be at the very end of the season yeah. uh, when, when when these when these votes are counted and, and and when the announcement is made. It shouldn't be. I mean, you've got to you've got to play your thirty eight games and and your cup games and and Champions League games, Europa League games, League Cup, whatever whatever other games have got to be. Played. You've got to be playing the whole lot. And, and then go and make a decision, and then go and announce yeah. that this is the, this player is, is is the winner. Did you have uh, those awards back? Yeah, yeah. Who did you even vote back for? in even back in those days? Who, who did you vote for? Myself. Never got anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Paddy Mulligan with one vote from Paddy Mulligan. Do you remember any of the outstanding players and maybe guys that you might have voted for? Oh yes, there would have been. It would have been yeah. We say uh, uh, Cyril Reeves at West Brom with me and Larry Cunningham, but uh, and. Then Hoddle over at over at, uh, at Spurs. Was there any? Was there ever any player that you look back on now and say I should have voted for? No, him? and no, no. You were very fair. No, I know. I went and 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 voted for X, and and that was it. I had my yeah. mind made up. Okay. On on that particular player, 
or, take, not, or in that particular team I'll take your word for it you can of course Paddy Mulligan will talk to you again next week on the Rewind here on Thank News you, Talk Ocean. my thanks also to Raftiello. Thank you this is the Rewind on News Talk. Still to come, Connacht's magic season sprinkled more fairy dust at the weekend, while Munster are on the verge of being humbled. First though, it's hurling and the Allianz League hurling semi-finals. Former Offaly player and uh, Irish independent GAA writer Michael Verney will talk to us in a few moments. But uh, first, let's hear from all four camps involved. Claire B. Kilkenny, 4.22 to 2.19 in the second game. Afterwards, uh, we heard from Joan Cusack and Brian Cody. First though, Waterford blowing Limerick away in the second half. There was only one in it at the break and Limerick actually led. But the final score was 323-180. What did you say to the lads at halftime? Not, not much, only that we probably were over trying to be, to react to the, to, to the not the mitts, but to react to the outside, probably perception that we were getting no goals even though it's not a perception it was reality so I think today they were kind of conscious of trying to attack more when they were in possession so they were over trying in terms of offloads and all that kind of stuff so I thought we just addressed that in terms of becoming just more simple in our approach if you like and more honest in terms of our hard work so that's what they did and you ran at the Limerick defence and that's what created the scores and the three goals they did and I think the breeze helped us in terms of we 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 probably weren't as deep as we were in the first half and uh, yeah look we have a good bit of leg there and, and the guys were able to Shane the likes of Shane and Colin and the guys who continue to work hard in, in the second half Michael I thought it a great game Michael Walsh and um, led from the front there so it's uh, great to be back in the league final I have to say Waterford winning a lot of possessions Brian O'Halloran comes steaming forward ball and stick O'Halloran's over the 45 he's got an option inside that's the option he goes to it's a fantastic catch there by Michael Walsh Walsh is after finding Patrick Kern who drives it home a second goal for Waterford brilliantly taken by Kern but made by a mixture of O'Halloran and Brick Walsh you know I thought, I, I thought we'd set up right we'd plenty of bodies back there as I said and to concede three goals is, is just bitterly disappointing yeah we conceded two really poor scores after getting back to three and like at that stage after being six down getting back to three we probably needed to kind of keep the momentum going and <laughs> You know, and they get the next couple of scores, but yeah, that's that's very disappointing. Like we 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 would have loved to have another game at this level, and you know, I suppose they they showed the gap during the finish, and you know, like eleven points, and you know, I mean, you, you'd have to say in the second half they were full value for it. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to go back. And I said, look, we've got to move forward now, and I said today's a disappointing day. We have to take that in the chin. I have to take it on the chin. It wasn't good enough, and um, we have to go back to the training ground and work our socks off for the next couple of weeks. It's, it's going to be difficult, but I mean. I believe we have the guys to do it. I believe we have the squad to do it. And I mean, there's, there's, there's no other way about it. I just go back to the training ground and work hard. You just have to block out the criticism that you know will come now after this. Yeah, look, we're, like we're entitled. To print, I, I'm entitled to print the criticism now. I knew that after the last day. And you know, um, as I that second half performance, like you, you, you don't need to be a genius to work out was that wasn't good enough. And um, Watford well ahead of us in the second half. And um, you know, the game like once they got ahead in the second half, playing with the breeze and like their game plan kicked in, it was going to be difficult for us to break it down. But we, we probably made a lot of basic errors and turnovers. He's up to the 20 meter line, has a shot. Oh, it's blown into the back of the net. It's a fourth goal for Clare. It's a wonder strike from Conor McGrath. Look, Oshin, we're obviously very happy. We came here to to win the game and we achieved that. But I know everybody said said say this. It's it's still early days yet, and it's still the. It's still the second grade competition in the in the, the sport that we play, so we're under no illusions with that. But yes, absolutely very satisfied with the uh, performance and the uh, the attitude of everybody. What have you worked on since you came in that you saw out there today? What are you looking at and what are you thinking that's it, we're nailing it at this time of year? And we'll 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 put a caveat on everything yeah, that's in the league. There should be a caveat on everything. Look, it's it's I'm like the rest of the lads, you know, just going there every night, giving giving what I have to the whole thing, and uh, you know, I'd say there's a like there's a fantastic 
committed bunch of players there, but there's, and there's also a really committed bunch of backroom team who, who want to do everything that they can to the to the best of their ability. So I'm just delighted to be part of that. Machine. I look at it, I mean, you'd be disappointed, obviously, with, with lots of aspects of today, because you go to win, try and win every match, and trying to perform very, very well. But I mean, it's not a question of me being disappointed, I'm sure the players are disappointed. Michael Verney of the Irish Independent, obviously a former Offaly hurler as well. Goals win matches, but they also entertain the crowd. And we saw, was it ten yesterday? Yeah, it was. A, it was a thrilling day, really. And you know, from start after thirty-five minutes of the first game, you're thinking, God, like, are we going to see any goal at all? And Waterford only had one goal in the league so far. And then everything just seemed to open up. It was. I think in the first game, it was a case. I think like Limerick seemed to be imitating imitating Waterford almost for 35 minutes and they were probably overplayed this kind of short passing game and Waterford was just able to read them in the second half once they got used to it and gaps just seemed to break and Shane Bennett was just hearing through the defence and Brick Walsh of course was in there flicking balls out to lads and you know they created an awful lot of goal chance and then in the second game it was just it was amazing to see I don't think anyone was expecting it no matter what you say like everyone was expecting Kilkenny to dominate again and right from that first whistle Clare just heard into them and you know they created some great goals and it was direct it was direct ball in that's the funny thing people were talking about possession and sweepers and things like that. it was the direct ball in that got the goals and I, I, Cody will definitely be disappointed uh, probably Owen Murphy I, I, I would rate Owen Murphy very very highly but he, but he was at fault for a couple of goals yesterday I, I don't expect to see full back and goalkeeper colliding at any stage during the championship after yesterday certainly not we'll get um, more on Kilkenny and Clare in just a moment but let's talk about the first game first one point in it at half time but then a final score of 323 to 118 we've heard from TJ Ryan a few minutes ago and I, I put it to him that in the second half it looked like a Division 1A team against a Division 1B team. And also, he said that they brought players back. But sometimes when a team brings players back, they kind of think that in itself is enough and that it'll clog it up and then they'll be able to break. But Limerick didn't do that in the second half. And maybe, maybe, maybe inexperienced told. Seven under 21 starting yesterday. As good as they are, they're still kids. Yeah, and bringing players back to flood the defence is okay, but they, you have to have a purpose when you go back. You can't just fall back behind the ball. And while Waterford have men behind the ball maybe at times and flood the defence, there's a serious purpose behind it. Everyone's picking a man. Uh, Dara Five was actually brilliant yesterday in the sweeper role. Whereas after a bumpy start, yeah, after a bumpy little start, yeah, but. When you're probably not used to the role, I suppose they were trying something different with Tyg de Borca yesterday, and he got an awful lot of ball. He got a lovely score in the first half as well, and gave in some lovely ball into the attack. And just what you were saying, like Limerick did have seven under twenty ones yesterday. No matter no matter how well you're playing in all those underage games, and they were outstanding last year. It's a serious learning curve for all those guys. They, you need to cut your teeth at senior championship level, um, and that it did. Uh, just looking at it, it did look like a one B against the one A team, which was mad because after the first thirty five minutes you thought Limerick looked pretty slick and they were using the ball very well but when push came to shove Waterford just seemed to be able to read what they were going to do and that's what happens when you're working a sweeper system Waterford have been working it for probably in excess of 18 months at this stage they're seasoned that no more than Clare are seasoned that as well and probably Limerick have only started you would you would look to say Limerick have only started in the last couple of months and that doesn't happen it doesn't happen all of a sudden and just moves were breaking down Waterford just seemed to know what they were going to do and yeah it's, it's a very very steep learning curve for the Limerick lads but TJ would be happy with the first 35 minutes and at least he has a serious platform to build on there and the likes of Dermot Burns and Ronan uh, Lynch. Ronan Lynch. They were they were you know, they're outstanding players and they, and they will be in time. But that that's a you know, that's a good learning curve for them yesterday. Shane Bennett and Patrick Curran, we saw exactly how important they can be and are to Waterford yesterday. 
Yeah, it, it's gaslight because last year's league, you were looking at Parik Mahoney was the go-to man at centre forward, out around, kind of drifting out around that middle third. And then when he when he was injured, uh, Morris kind of stepped in. But Morris was absent yesterday. So like Derek McGrath is going to be absolutely delighted with the fact that Shane Bennett and Patrick Curran have stepped up. You know, for lads that aren't particularly big, they're good ball winners. They are good ball winners. And just the brick the brick is just amazing. Like puckouts were coming down on top of him. And lads know that puckouts are going to break off him. And lads know when he gets the ball, he's probably not going to shoot it himself, that they're going to be available for a pass. And those two lads were really good. Patrick Curran got a point underneath the stand yesterday. He had absolutely no right to be getting. Shane Bennett was hearing down through the middle of the defence. And he just, they're the sort of players, they draw defenders to them as well. They look really dangerous on the ball. And they create these goal-throwing chances, which had been absent before today. And it's tough as a defender, isn't it? Because you know these lads are going to run at you and you also know if you commit they're going to offload and Waterford did that supremely well in the second half and if they do that it's going to be hard to stop them and Clare do the same thing as well yeah as a defender myself like you're left with that kind of what do we do it's a 50-50 kind of thing do I go do I stay do I try and make it make the pass but the problem is they're so in sync with each other if Shane Bennett's coming down here there's probably usually Jake Dillon or someone is on the left and someone else is on the right they always have two options as well it's not a case of he's going down the middle and it's like who will I pass to or something like that you make, they make the defender make the decision and if they can continue to do that and start getting you know the two three goals per game they're going to be very very hard beaten as well yeah. because goals were what was absent and like was it 2.23 yesterday like that's that, that's big big scoring that is big score 3.23 I should yeah. say like and creating those goal chances again they just Shane Bennett you saw glimpses of that last year they just look so much more seasoned for young fellas they just look like they have like good the lads like lads like Brick and Kevin Warren are obviously talking to these guys and I know Derek and Dan will be talking to them an awful lot as well they just looked like an awful lot more composed yesterday they got a couple of chances and they took them even Shane Bennett's penalty as well like because we'd seen Nicky Quaid save one only a couple of yeah. weeks before that like there's no saving really a shot like that you know? Yeah, Nicky Quaid saving that uh, penalty against Dublin in the quarter-final. Um, regards Waterford, last year against Tip and Kilkenny, the two best teams in the country still at the moment, even though Waterford are league champions and Tip are out. But just looking at the overall picture over the last five years, Tip and Kilkenny would be the best two teams on average. They struggled to get scores in those games. From what you've seen so far, especially yesterday, do you think they've addressed those problems? And we'll bring Austin Gleeson into this because... There's a lot of talk about where his best position is, but yesterday he seemed to have a bit of freedom mm. from the back line and he linked a lot of play. And, you know, people say we don't have the, or whatever, don't have the numbers when they attack, but they do on occasions when they counter because they actually attack in numbers and they press in numbers. Yeah, I, I, I would have, just what I was saying there, I have seen a lot of evidence to suggest other guys are going to pick up the flack, that Morris isn't going to have to get your. 12 points, maybe 3 from play, 9 frees, like that. Maybe he still will. But these other guys look like they have the ability to chip in that bit more. Patrick Curran looks like he could get the 3 points. Shane Bennett looks like he could get the 1-2. Then you have, you know, the brick will tip in with a point. Kevin Moran will get you a couple of scores. That's not to include, you know, Parik Mahoney again. It's not to, And the subs as well. Like, Tom Devine just seems to come in and just seems to get a goal every game he comes in or he seems to have some sort of an impact like that. They have these guys to come in as well. And then you're saying about Austin, I, I would like to see him around that middle third, yeah. Rovner. I wouldn't I wouldn't tie him down to one particular position. He seemed to be more midfield than halfback yesterday. Yeah, and there's so much... The midfield is the only line of the field, technically, that should only have two bodies across it. 
on each team. Yeah. So there should be more space. I would give him a lot more freedom. And with a good hurler like that, I, de- I wouldn't tie him up. I know that they had tied with the idea of playing him inside. I, I don't think that's... I don't think that's... He, he's too off the cuff. He's, his ability to get three or four points from out the field is too valuable to offer to be playing him to tie him to a position. I don't think I don't think he's an unbelievable defender as well. I think he's a good defender. I think out around the middle of the field where he is, some defensive responsibility and maybe more attacking responsibility would sue him more. Just before we leave Waterford and Emmerich go, to go back to a point you were talking about, as a defender and making the decision, do you push up on the guy who's running and you know he's going to go for the overlap if he can find one? Do you talk about that beforehand? And if so, do you talk about it with your fellow defenders and say, right, if Jake Dillon is running to or Austin Gleeson is running to, I'm going to go to him, you hang back. Or can you plan that kind of thing? Because I imagine it's difficult in the heat of the moment out there. But these yeah. teams train very hard, you know, repetition, repetition, repetition and all that and training drills. So I'm kind of wondering as someone who has never played elite level hurling, how do you handle that? Speaking from personal experience, like come come and meeting a man that's nothing that has ever been discussed at either club or county level that's that's only me personally um i i don't know if you can replicating it in a training drill is the is the ideal way having two forwards attacking one defender maybe or having three forwards attacking two defenders is the only way because at the end of the day you're trying to coach lads to make that decision in the heat of the moment if a lad goes too soon the whole defence opens up. It's something that we would have never personally discussed. That's why Waterford have had, you know, Barry Coughlin has come in now and the likes of Noel Connors. These lads, they wait till the very, very last second. They try and they try and put, there's a little kind of half second of doubt that they try to put into your head. Oh, do I pass or do I strike? And it's just, if the fo- you want to make that, you want to put that element of doubt into the forward's mind. But as a back, as a back, it's a, it's a tough one. You need to make sure that there's someone behind you. You need to. That's why you need to have lads covering for each other there as well. It's a really, you know, that's a really heat of the moment type decision. If defenders are in sync, Noel Connors will come and someone will slip in. If they're not in sync, Noel Connors will come and you know there's a, a guard in the space behind them. Yeah, let's move on to Kilkenny against uh, Clare. A lot of people surprised by the nature of. But not so much the performance, but the gap, 422 to 119. Um, I put it to you, Michael, that I would read into it from a Clare point of view, but I wouldn't read into it from a Kilkenny point of view. Yeah, Clare needed a performance yesterday, I would say. They needed to, they needed to show, OK, we're improving, everything is working well, we're happy with you know the structures, we're moving well at this time of the year. Whereas Kilkenny, while I know they, they love to win the league and they want to win every competition that they take part in, I I don't think it was as much of a there wasn't as much of an emphasis on that game yesterday for them and it kind of showed from the first whistle Clare were absolutely tearing into them the, you know the enthusiasm to get on the ball the enthusiasm to hook any time a Kilkenny man like yesterday a, a classic example Killian Buckley had the ball in his hand just at the start of the second half and he was kind of moving away and there was that much pressure on him I think he threw it up and swung at it with one hand, which you would never see. I think he actually missed the ball. They just, they were forcing Kilkenny to, to do things. They made them do things that they haven't, you know, I was just saying to you about off, uh, off uh, radio there, just 2012 Leinster final, Kilkenny were completely out of their comfort zone. 2010 All-Ireland final, they were completely out of their comfort zone. And that's exactly what it looked like yesterday. But it's April if you want to beat Kilkenny, unfortunately, August or September is really the only time to beat them and they will have learned some amount from yesterday. Brian Cody didn't react during the game to what Clare were doing, which I found interesting. I mean, he didn't really block off the space and he didn't really kind of draw guys back, which we have seen 
Kilkenny do in the past and Don Logue in fact pointed that out to us after the game yeah it's it's an interesting one Brian would have seen yesterday like every day is a school day for Brian they learn they learn something from 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 every game win lose or draw but he would have learned more yesterday than he would have learned in an awful long time there was holes in the defence like I was only thinking yesterday like Joey Holden came in last year. I think he played one league game, the relegation playoff with with Clare. He was on the run of a, the back of a great club run. He came in. I think he played five games with Clare last year. Done a really really good job. Got the All Star. Everyone was happy that you know JJ's boots were filled to a certain extent. This year it's a completely different demographic. He comes in the first league game. Seamus Harnedy had him under pressure. He was under pressure with John Conlon yesterday. They will have learned an awful lot more, more than Shane Prendergast as well, who was asked an awful lot of questions yesterday. They would have learned an awful lot from that yesterday. I just don't see, I don't see Brian uh, implementing a sweeper system or anything like that. Yeah. But I do see if they play Clare again, and even if they were to play Waterford, you will see, you will not see that space. Yeah. You will see the half back line on the forty-five. What do you line. think they do about the likes of Colin Galvin and Podge Collins ripping them apart in a championship game? What, like, how would you think Cody would react? Because I'm not going to say he didn't yesterday, but I just. Watching the game, thought to myself, this would be very, very different if it was a championship match. Yeah, he, di- he didn't react at all. He just kind of sat back and soaked it all in. Someone like Colin Galvin, he was on a phenomenal amount of ball yesterday and he's just a relentless engine. But Kilkenny have kind of an engine there that was absent yesterday in someone like Conor Fogarty. You'd imagine Clare got all the matchups right yesterday. They had the right guys, you know, they had David Fitzgerald and Walter Walsh. Richie, Richie Hogan was tied up by Oshin O'Brien and TJ was tied up by Brendan Bugler. But... Kilkenny didn't really put any emphasis on matchups yesterday. Yeah. If that was a championship game, no more than when they've played Tipperary in recent years, they put they placed a serious emphasis on on, on matchups. And I would say someone like Conor or Callum Galvin, Conor Fogarty would pick him up, try and negate his influence on the game. And if he, if someone like Callum Galvin was taken out of the game, Clare would struggle to an extent because the amount of ball he delivers in. That's not to mention all the scores he gets. Cody, like it's it's funny. Clare had to make had to make a statement yesterday, so. They've kind of showed their hand a small bit. Brian Cody has showed no hand. Fenley's <laughs> absent. Conor Fogarty absent. Owen Larkin to come back. Paul Murphy to come back. Like how how will Aaron Cunningham go when he has Paul Murphy's arms and legs around him and he's you know yeah. such a physically kind of physically imposing figure. Yeah. And I don't see I don't see Joey Holden standing in the edge of the square with fifty yards of space in front of him in championship if they play at each other. It's such a an interesting thing. Like but. Like there will, there will be skin and hair flying in Nolan Park just on the basis of that game yesterday. One thing that might worry Brian Hogan is the fact that two of the four goals were conceded by just big, long, high balls and confusion in the Kilkenny defence. Yeah, it, it's funny, like because people would have said beforehand, taking Kilkenny on the air is absolute madness. But that's that's where they got that's where they got everything. The high ball into the edge of the square caused so much confusion. I just think they'll be so much more ready for that if they play them again. Like Joey Holden. And Owen Murphy ran into each other two or three times, which you never see. And it's a, it's a sure sign that communication is down a small bit, or you know something is off a tiny or little bit. Or they just haven't worked together a whole pile. It was very very clear, and I'd say it with a great level of confidence, but no confirmation. That Clare would have an awful lot more collective work done than Kilkenny do at this stage. Yeah, you'd imagine so, and even. Uh, TJ Reid had said during the week that after they beat Offaly they would have been off for a week so they would have just been in maybe two or three sessions before the Clare game 
Um, so they probably haven't worked that much together. And even Owen Murphy was absent for most of the league. So Joey Holden had Richie Reid behind him. So it's getting back used to these demographics again. Like I don't see, like, it's gas. Like, when Kilkenny have been beaten, it has been goals. It has been, you know, the four goals by Tip in 2010. It's been the two or three goals by Galway in 2012. Four yesterday. Yeah. I just don't, I don't see that happening again this year. Yeah, just before I let you go, what kind of final do you think it'll be? Because obviously they meet five weeks after in the Munster Championship. Yeah, it's really interesting and a lot of people are talking about shadow boxing in the final. I don't see that at all. At the end of the day, Watford have a chance to make a statement. Two league titles in a row would be huge for them. Like especially for a young side, they're thinking like we've won we've won back to back league titles. Why what's to say we can't push it on now? Like one league title is grand. But if they have two league titles they're thinking, Yeah, we are good enough to win All Ireland. You know, and Clare, I think it's eleven games unbeaten in all competitions. There's no chance that Davy's going to want to let that up. Like you can't, you know, you can't pull the reins in a small bit and think, oh yeah, we'll save ourselves for championship. It does, it doesn't work like that. Clare have a chance, you know, to build on outrageous momentum. I think they haven't won a league title since seventy eight. Yeah, haven't been in a final since yeah. 05. Do you know, like they're going to want to win a national title, and again, it's confirmation to these lads. To these lads, yeah. We're we're doing things right. Things are going the right way. So I don't see any shadow boxing at all. I think the two of them will tear into each other, and it's such an interesting style clash. Like Clare would have probably in- implemented the sweeper maybe a year, eighteen months probably before Waterford, and Derek has probably probably imitated it to a certain extent and developed it a bit more. It's do they both do it differently? Because that's the thing people will say ahead of this game, that they, they both play the same system. But is that an accurate statement? No, no. I, I, you couldn't say they both play the same system. Um, I would say Waterford carry an awful lot more out of defence. Clare, while they sweep, it's usually a 50-yard ball and then it would be delivered in. Waterford run an awful lot with the ball and try and create overlaps. I wouldn't say Clare... Looking on the base of yesterday, they play similar systems but they kind of implement them an awful lot differently and it's going to be so interesting like if anybody knows how to beat the other man's system Derek will know how to beat Davy's system or Davy will know how to beat Derek's system so it's such an interesting thing but then I suppose they're very wary of you know giving away state secrets as well you know championship is really what counts but I do see them going like National League titles aren't exactly like in great abundance in either county and the chance to win a league title is huge for both and I think we expect a rip roaring final and it'll be a di- again it'll be a different game than the championship because championship is going to bring a different prospect altogether OK Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and former Offaly Hurler thanks for joining us on The Rewind Thanks a million Oshie. Right let's talk rugby Connacht have guaranteed Champions Cup rugby next season after their bonus 35-14 win over Munster at the sports ground that a first ever season double for the Green over the red. Rugby correspondent with Galway Bay FM and presenter of the Craggy Island Rugby podcast Rob Murphy joins us now. Rob, is it fair to say given the way it finished you kind of had a controlled level of excitement in your commentary? Yeah, certainly so. I mean, it was the kind of game that just kind of built towards a, a, a conclusion that was probably less dramatic than some of the games we've uh, had to watch and endure perhaps uh, in recent weeks. I mean, the Grenoble game, spectacular in its own right. Even the Leinster game, a phenomenal finish to that contest, as we know. Whereas this one was done and dusted with about 15 minutes ago, which is hard to believe. The peak of the game was no doubt Finley Beelham's try because as he got over the line, the realisation that not only has Finley Beelham got a key, key try in this game and put three scores between the sides, he's also got the bonus point. And that in itself was very hard to you know, grasp for a couple of seconds. But outside of that, you know, bad bad start for Connacht without question. 14-6 down. There was a lot of questions being asked of the team. 
the scrum provided the foundation of a comeback and by half time they were in total control of the contest and I think from there kind of just kicked on it really is phenomenal to think that they were able to deal with a great start for Munster and turn it around as well as they did it says an awful lot about a team when they can bounce back from errors and that's what Connacht did in this game and they were bouncing back as well from a loss against Grenoble which arguably you could say they inflicted on themselves with some of their errors in that game yeah certainly and that's that was one of the questions during the week how critical do you be uh, when you look back and how critical should you be towards a Connacht team that put out an amazing attacking performance and still got caught in the end by a Grenoble side that just dug in and found a way to beat them so we, we really kind of rankled with that question but for me and for a lot of others Connacht really didn't have a huge amount to look back on with much regret in that game as far as I'm concerned they gave it everything in Grenoble they put put their hearts on their sleeves they played some incredible rugby and Grenoble had an out half of Vesinitsky who just played outstanding rugby and found a way to beat them yeah sure you could analyse it to death but Grenoble made lots of mistakes in that game as well and they could analyse their mistakes too whereas it was just one of those games but coming forward I think going into this Munster game there was a feeling around the province that this is different this Munster game Connacht need to win it if Connacht are going to go forward into the summer and into next season believing that they're on a new level as a team and as a province they need to underline the fact that they're better than Munster after winning down in Toman Park and accumulating a lot more points than them during the course of the season so I think there was a certain amount of pressure on Connacht to win on Saturday evening and it seems incredible because every game it seemed to be a must win but this seemed like another must win whereas from here on forth without sounding in any way uh, defeatist or in any way negative or lacking in ambition anything from here is probably a major bonus from a Connacht point of view and I don't necessarily think they can't go to a final or even win it if the circumstances uh, kind of fall their way but at the same time what Connacht have done to this point automatic qualification for the uh, Champions Cup next year and barring a miracle uh, comeback from the Scarlets, automatic top four as well. That's an incredible season and, and Saturday night underlined that. It is an amazing season and Treviso away and uh, Glasgow at home to come and that Glasgow game could be quite interesting. You could be mm. jockeying for position in the top four and then you might end up meeting each other in the semi-final, be it at the sports ground or over in Glasgow. Rob, how do Connacht build from here? Because they've been in the Heineken Cup before as it was then, granted not qualifying uh, on their own merits, but this time they have got to the Champions Cup on their own merits and the big question is, is how do you go about building on from here? Do you put money into the stadium? Do you put money into the squad? Do you look at the academy, which obviously is going well, given the amount of local lads that are in there and the amount of guys that you've taken, even from other provinces? Well, taken from other provinces is wrong. Guys from around the country that Connacht have taken in. So obviously their academy is working. A lot is working, but how do you kick on from here? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I think the team still needs its star players. Bundy Aki is a superstar and he's lifting this side. And I think keeping a player like him into the future is going to be very, very difficult, but very, very important. The IRFU come into that as well in terms of uh, whether they want to commit to a player of his quality for from an Irish international point of view when he's going to be qualified for Ireland in October 2017. That's an interesting dynamic because he's a focal point now. And looking around the rest of the team, then the younger players are going to look up to him as they did in that game. Uh, it all trickles down from there. Connacht will be in a better pool than they ever were, I'd say, in, in Heineken Cup rugby, although they did get Zebra twice in the draws in the past but certainly their seeding is going to be better based on the fact that they're going to at least be top four maybe be top two that's a real bonus as well and from there you just want to be competitive in next season's Champions Cup I think I think they want to keep the crowds rolling in and the crowds will keep rolling in if Connacht are competitive across the board both in, both in both competitions as for the academy don't underestimate the fact that this is a golden generation of, of young players from the province that came through around uh, the time that Robbie Henshaw made his breakthrough there's a lot of the team that would have been on the under 20 side that won the Grand Slam that 
he, a side that he was on that under twenty side. So you know there will be certain amount of focus on on developing players right down the board down to under fourteens and below and seeing what they're doing around mini rugby because. Going to going into the future, Connacht need another golden generation at some point in the next three or four years to push the next the next wave on. But when you look at players ushering like Sean O'Brien yesterday, like he put in an incredible performance. He's just twenty one years of age. Galwegian has come through the ranks within Connacht, and you keep looking at all these young lads. Caelan Blade, the scrum half, who's had a great season this year. Dennis Buckley from Craig's, who who had his uh, schools rugby in Leinster and his come back to his native province through the academy and has made so much progress and people scratching their head why he hasn't made the Irish team just yet, but he, he certainly will and he's on the way. You, you really feel that that's the key. Yeah. Locally developed uh, players coming through the academy to match with all these players that are coming from elsewhere in the country because they know Connacht is the place to be at now. Connacht is a place that you can really get game time and really develop as a young rugby player. And Connacht have created a culture and I know people are probably sick of me comparing every good sporting culture to Kilkenny but they're creating guys who've got a great skill set. It's no coincidence that Pat Lamb is getting the best out of that skill set. Is that what it's about as well? Not just getting numbers playing, but also keeping them skillful, like the guys who have come through, the likes of Sean O'Brien, James Connolly, Robbie Henshaw, different positions, but all comfortable on the ball. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what you've got to remember as well is to establish yourself in a field of, of well-established teams is very, very difficult. I think Tyrone are a good example in that sense. If we leave aside styles and all that kind of stuff and just talk about what Tyrone managed to do uh, in, in the last two decades as a football county to become an absolute force and a winning force as well against all the odds, uh, not just popping up for an All-Ireland as many Ulster sides did to great great, great success. And I think, like, think about what Connacht have done against Munster. The last four games against Munster competitively, Connacht have won three of them. Before that, Connacht had won one, drawn one and lost 22 in the professional era. So what you're talking about is is a kind of a, I know from my own county, a Mayo-Curry situation or a Galway-Hurlers versus Kilkenny situation. You, you're talking about something where you take a force that seems to be dominant over decades upon decades, like Munster, and in just a short period of time, you turn that on its head. You do the double over them. And I don't think there's anyone in the country who could honestly stand up and argue that Munster are better than Connacht right now. Right across the board, in terms of the professional team, Connacht are stronger than Munster. They're a better team than Munster. And that's something that this weekend is underlined. And that's why this weekend was so, so important. But as I said, back to my analogy around Tyrone, that might be where Connacht are going. Now, whether they're going to be able to win trophies like that, I don't know. Is there going to be a limit in terms of what they can achieve as trophies? Well, this season might prove a point. Maybe the next couple of seasons might prove that too. But it's a fine line. They're very close. They might be able to make a huge, huge breakthrough. And if they do, they can become that kind of team. And I look around the world, you look at teams like the ACT Brumbies, what they did from the, from an early stage within Super Rugby. They were just a small team based in Canberra, right in between the two big giants in New South Wales and Queensland. And they were the side that came through and actually won the Super Rugby Championship and made, made quite, a, quite a name for themselves. So Connacht, Connacht have plenty of analogies there that they can follow. And I think that's what Connacht are thinking. It's appropriate, actually, that you mentioned the Brumbies because on Saturday morning I watched their game against the Waratahs. Sorry, I tried to watch all of it, but then in the second half we were told, hit the red button if you want to keep watching because Bolton and Middlesbrough were coming on. I wasn't even interested in Bolton and Middlesbrough when they were in the Premier League. But anyway, I don't have red button on Virgin Ireland, so I was left very frustrated. But look, I followed the match tracker after that and the Brumbies went on to win and they won it playing a Connacht style. Imagine that, we're calling it a Connacht style. Um, Just before I let you go, Rob, I want to ask about the current squad rather than the kind of whole picture. Ali Muldowney leaves at the end of the season. How big a loss is that going to be to Connacht? Uh, Because Robbie Henshaw is going as well. And as good a squad as they have, those are two incalculable losses. 
Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, there's no question. And uh, some of it is is managing resources. I have a feeling, and you have to start kind of weighing up. Well, you have a couple of younger players here. Do you sign the the experienced player for one for a couple more years? Ali's going to maximise the best he can get out of his career. He's probably playing the best rugby of his career, and he's played some great rugby in that career. So I, I couldn't blame him for seeking opportunities elsewhere. But Connacht, you know, have have not been able to kind of match what offers that were coming elsewhere, as far as we can see, anyways. So that's one of those examples where Connacht have had to make some decisions. You know, Robbie Henshaw made his own decision and Connacht have accepted that and I think that story has passed on which is probably another element of what's incredible about this season that it's that's not the domineering story right now but these are big big losses you're right to point that out and that is going to affect how, how strong Connacht are next year and let's not forget the start of the season next year is not going to be interrupted by a World Cup so it's going to be a much tougher start for Connacht uh, quite beyond that they're going to be targeted from here on forth just like Glasgow are now where three four years ago no one was targeting Glasgow so yeah Connacht are one of the sides that people will have uh, very much a target on and yeah you lose two key players like that how do you replace them Alton Land's playing some great rugby Andrew Brown's probably playing some of the best rugby of his career right now yeah. and you, those guys are going to have to step in Ben Marshall's in around the fringes one final point Oshin uh, Quinn Rue Irish squad member couldn't make the Connick 23 at the weekend just, such was the resources that Pat Lamb had available for him uh, horses for courses I suppose was part of his thinking Rue will probably ba- be back in for the next game but that just shows you how much depth there is in this Connick squad. So I, I'm pretty confident that they can move on from those losses, but they're big losses, those two players. This is the Rewind on News Talk, and that was Rob Murphy of Galway Bay FM and the Craggy Island podcast. Back to GA now, and recently Wexford forward Ursula Jacob announced her retirement from the inter-county game. Jacob collected four All-Irelands as well as four All-Stars. I caught up with her where she works in Bray, and we talked about Wexford making the breakthrough and coverage of the game. But first, she talks about why she decided to step down yeah I suppose it's probably about six weeks now and I suppose I have maybe slightly adjusted to it Um, it probably and as I've said to a few of the girls it probably won't fully hit me till maybe the championship uh, run kind of you know starts in in June but at the moment I suppose I'm back with the club and I'm back training away so it's not like I'm kind of sitting idle you know left twiddling my thumbs or anything and look I suppose I'm content with my decision as well Um, now naturally it is going to be strange when I see Wexford out playing you know maybe in Wexford Park or wherever during the summer but uh, look as I said you know I was I'm going to be fully supportive of them now as well you're only 30 and that is quite a young age so obviously it was a big decision to retire now we say you're only 30 but you have been playing inter-county since you were 14 so you have been at it a long while yeah like I suppose you know that's the natural thing that everyone is saying god you know there's definitely two or three years more you know left in you uh, and I suppose maybe that is true but I just felt like the decision you know and the time is right for me I suppose you know I made my debut when I was 14 and like that's 16 years playing you know inter-county senior camogie along with the club along with school along with colleges you know so it was a, a real balancing act over over the last few years and I suppose maybe the demands and that was getting maybe a little bit too much and you know like look probably there is more in me you know for for inter-county but I just felt the time was right and I, I was happy with it then. How long did it take you to make that decision because the temptation to stay and go again is always there I imagine for a sports person it's something that 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 we who have never played elite sport maybe we don't get we're aware of it but we don't get so how difficult was that internal battle how long did it go on go on for and and how did the decision to retire win out in the end um it was a massive decision it wasn't one that i kind of took lightly um i suppose 
when we got knocked out of the All-Ireland semi-final last year um, in 2015 by Galway, I suppose that was initially when I had first thought about, you know, am I going to continue for another year? And I suppose uh, once we had finished with Wexford last year, we, we went back to the club. And I said, look, I'm not going to make any decision or hasty decision until we're finished with the club. And I suppose we went on, you know, one Leinster with the club and then uh, we, we reached the All-Ireland semi-final stage. And I suppose it was going, we were going to be given a break anyway after that game. So in those few weeks, uh, there was a lot of thinking. There was a lot of kind of chats with my family, my my parents, and it was you know, and the intercounty management team naturally were ringing to see you know was I coming back, and I suppose you know they were being patient with me as well, you know, allowing me the time to think about, and I didn't really discuss it with anyone other than my family, and like it was a, a really tough decision, and I even found it so hard even saying it to my mum and dad as if I was yeah. letting them down for retiring and I found it so hard to tell them that I had made my 100% decision and even when I but when I told the management uh, the Wexford management team there was a sense of relief as well and I felt like a bit of a weight had been lifted off me yeah. so I knew it was the right decision then Obviously if there's ever going to be a family that understands <laughs> the demand and the decision it's yours yeah. your two brothers obviously your dad all have played for Wexford, your dad obviously an all-star like yourself and you know that must have been a help because when most people make a decision like this they're surrounded by people who, who care and love them but but who maybe don't get it because they haven't done it. Now that might seem a bit unfair yeah. because obviously it's very often a, a couple's thing. If you're an inter-county player then it kind of means your partner is as well because they're making a lot of... St- <laughs> yeah. you, you get the point of making yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, look, I suppose from that point of view, I was extremely lucky that I had kind of, you know, obviously my dad, my sister, my two brothers had all been there, done that. Yeah. And, you know, Rory only recently announced his decision, you know, to retire with Wexford as well. So I, I, I went to them looking for advice, you know, asking them what was best to do. And, you know, they, you know, they were very understanding of it too. And they said, look, you are going to miss it. The initial first few weeks and months of it is going to be tough and even the first year of it but they said look at you look back at what you've achieved and you know be proud of it and you know it was nice to be able to be able to bounce off ideas you know against against my brothers especially and my sister who always give me great advice yeah. and you know mom and dad were, were so understanding and they said whatever makes you happy and it was nice to have that kind of around me because look I wasn't going around talking about this to loads of people I kept it very kind of private and I, no one really knew until I made the official decision then yeah you saw Camogie grow during your inter-county career and Wexford really helped that when they won the All-Ireland in 2007 we'll talk about that in a moment but first given who your family are you were never going to play anything else but Camogie stroke hurling <laughs> what was it like growing up I mean did you all walk around the house with hurleys did you did you eat dinner with hurleys every day? I, 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 it must have been just that wall-to-wall hurling in your house well look I suppose when we were younger they they let, allowed us to do everything from gymnastics yeah. to camogie to football to whatever when it came down to it uh, and there was no pressure I suppose put from mam or dad but all of us just wanted to play hurling and I suppose we were lucky in the local schools my mum was one of the teachers and then my dad was heavily involved with the underage and then the coaches for the camogie were, were, were you know they were so good and they were there to look after us and really you know nour- nourish us as players as well and like I know it's a bit cheesy in that but like we genuinely had mini All-Irelands out yeah. on the front lawn we'd always have the boys against the girls and you know Michael would go in the goal and then me and Helena would be against my brother Rory and yeah. Little things like that, you'd look back and you'd be laughing. And then, you know, our neighbours were 
Keith Roster and Mark, his brother, and like you'd be having, you'd be, t- you'd have the most serious games out in the front lawn, and we were lucky we had a, yeah. a big front lawn to do it, and you know there was plenty of windows broken and and that, but like you know we we've been steeped in it from an early age, and you know, but thankfully mum and dad never put any excess pressure on yeah. us to say you were allowed to enjoy it. How important was that? Massive, and to this day they still would always encourage that. They always say you have to enjoy it. The more you enjoy it, the more you're going to get out of it, and you know always one thing my father would always say is like go out and express yourself enjoy it and you'll hurl so much better and I think we kind of brought that too you know whenever we had big games I never got massively nervous coming into a game um, I think I was more nervous making the All-Ireland acceptance speech than actually playing in it you know yeah. it, it, I, I did, you know you kind of embrace the nerves and the excitement and that and it was the same with the lads and you know that definitely came from mum and dad that they were easy yeah. going about it and not adding any extra pressure onto you Is that the advice you give to to parents and kids because when we talk about sport the most important thing is to play something to do something you don't have to be good at it and most kids aren't going to go on and be an elite athlete or or win all Ireland's but if they enjoy it they'll stick at it is that the most important thing is is that the message that you want to pass on to coaches parents teachers etc yeah well like definitely look for it was it was the thing that I enjoyed from six or seven I remember going down to the pitch and you were there with your friends you were you know you you got to enjoy you know something you love playing with your best friends and that that has that's still continuing I'm still going down to the pitch and I'm still playing with my best friends so you know you obviously the more enjoyment you get with something you're going to thrive more at it and the other thing is definitely you know having respect for whether it's the coaches or the the players that you're playing with was something that we were always told that like you have to treat people with respect and you get that from you know you get them kind of characteristics from playing camogie or hurling or whatever and uh, that's definitely something that you know I think any young player can you know learn from in sport in particular yeah you started as a goalkeeper despite being an all-star winning forward. And you, your debut for Wexford was actually on a, a massive day that stands out in the memory of GA folks. It was the day that Morris Fitzgerald got that point against Dublin. Ye played in the game before that against Galway. And we or didn't, against Tip, wasn't it? Sorry. Yeah, and we didn't win that day. Yeah, well, that part I left out. <laughs> well, and we won't even talk about how many yeah. goals I let in, but um, look, it was an unbelievable day. I just remember, it was by a complete chance that I was that I was playing in the goal for Wexford. I literally broke my wrist playing on, um, playing a, a, getting over a fence at home or whatever, and I ended up in the goal for the under-14s, yeah. and we went on and won the Leinster was, final. Listen, you can tell me, honestly, it was Keith Roster <laughs> did it in the back yard. No, Unfortunately, uh, if I told the truth, everyone would be laughing at me. So um, we went, uh, I was drafted in then for that All Ireland quarter final against Tip, and Tip were the big team at that time. And just I remember going to Tarlis that day and nearly not realising how big of a game was going to be played afterwards and just walking out to Tarlis and I remember in the second half of the game I was standing there with my with goalie hurl trying to yeah. concentrate but the stands were getting fuller and fuller by the minute and then to actually be there and witness that score like it's it's I will yeah. never forget that day because of you know the such an iconic player like Morris Fitzgerald scoring that point and you know it was great to be a part of that and yeah. to actually say well that was my day you as well yeah. it makes it easy for me to remember yeah. when I first played with Wexford seniors and how does it feel for you to know that people will say that in 2011 and 2012 they were in Crow Park when you got those wonder goals in All-Ireland Finals uh, I don't particularly 2012 <laughs> that goal was like it, it was amazing and I, I read in an article since that uh, you did with Clean Foley uh, that you said that if you tried to do it a hundred times, you, you wouldn't do it ninety-nine. But I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> well, look at uh, like look. Uh, 
honestly, I, I, I that day, like you know, in 2012, I think it was such a non-believable game. Anyway, um, and there were some brilliant scores, points, and goals. And look, it's the one that probably stands out for a lot of people. Um, and it was a obviously it was a great strike, but I, I don't know. I have to owe a lot of credit to Crow Park too because the pitch was so good and. Yeah. Like, look, I got it perfectly and it was an ideal time in the match as well because, you know, Cork were coming back at that stage and I suppose it kind of helped keep us going in the last few minutes when things were getting a bit close. But it's nice to look back on it and say, you know, and so many people, even since I've retired, have, you know, admired the goal yeah. and said such lovely things and that's actually nice to hear too. And But, like, you know, I suppose I don't maybe focus on that too much. I kind of just look back on the overall wins and victories that we had as a team. I don't yeah. be saying, oh, look at me, I suppose scored such a great goal because you know, I'm never going to be plum awesome myself you know you can get knocked down quick enough then too yeah. do you ever YouTube your own moments or uh, look for stuff like that there's, there's nothing wrong with that it was something that Enda McNulty recogni- uh, recommended to Brian O'Driscoll that he did while he was still playing and Brian O'Driscoll said that it helped him so whether or not you've done it since retiring or during your playing days I'm not sure but is it something that you've ever done or would ever be tempted to do um, well look there's definitely more memories for Brian O'Driscoll on YouTube than there would be for me but look I, I suppose a few people have tagged me in on stuff on yeah. Facebook and some videos and that since I've retired uh, especially and it's nice to maybe look at them now you know maybe when I was in the thick of the action of playing I yeah. maybe wouldn't have been looking at them but looking back on them now and it's nice in years to come when I'm older and hopefully I'll have kids out playing for Wexford or whoever um, I'll be able to show them and say yeah. well look you go try do that one as well and yeah. you know it's nice because look not not a lot of camogie games will be broadcast so the footage that you would have for scores or whatever yeah. is quite minimal so it's nice to maybe have um, you know the, yeah. the few big goals in some of the All-Irelands anyway yeah. Camogie far more covered now um, it's been something and I'm included that the media maybe have been guilty of not covering of course the organisation has to help itself when you look at what ladies football have done, constant TV coverage, they've done a wonderful job with TG Cahar. Are you a bit jealous because only the All-Ireland final is shown live? Sometimes there are other games. The league final has uh, has been shown in the last couple of years. Last year's was, was on. Um, sometimes the All-Ireland semi-finals are shown. But it doesn't have that regular week-to-week, you know this game is going to be shown, you know that it's going to be on TV every weekend coverage. How important is it that they, that they get that, that they they get live TV coverage well I suppose it's something maybe I would have mentioned in the past few weeks since I retired because yeah. I feel maybe now that maybe I'm not you know playing inter-county I can maybe voice maybe an opinion yeah. a little bit more um, look you have to be envious of what the ladies football have in terms of promotion and you know the television coverage as I said like you, the only way you're going to generate more interest in camogie and camogie games is to actually get more neutrals seeing the games more neutrals at the games yeah. and the only way that'll happen is if our camogie games are you know on before some of the big hurling games and also it needs massive uh, a lot more coverage on the telly you know showing maybe 30 seconds on the Sunday game on a Sunday yeah. you look it's a little bit of progress but yeah. it's not really going to generate much of an interest to the neutrals you'll always have the loyal supporters who'll follow Wexford in hurling football hockey camogie soccer it doesn't matter but if you're wanting to seriously get more people attending all Ireland's and attending group championship games Games, you know, in a, in a random pitch in Wexford, you have to get more coverage. Whether and it, it's, I suppose it's it's 
up to the Camogie Association to work with the media as well. It's not just up to either the Camogie to do it all or the reporters to do it all. Yeah. It's getting the links there a little bit more open and, and even following through and seeing what the Ladies Football Association are doing. Yeah. You know, obviously what they're doing is massive because they're getting all the games played on TG Catter. They're getting, you know, the, 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 the ads on the telly at the moment, which are incredible. People that I'm working with who have no interest in GA comment to me about yeah. those ads. And you see that if they're getting interested in ladies football because of that, well then yeah. the Camogie needs to do to do uh, to do to do the same because if we want to keep up with the figures that are playing ladies football in other sports, it, it has to improve. Yeah. Do you think the organisations could work together a bit more ladies football and Camogie? Look, it's definitely. Uh, it, it you know, and in fairness, they are coming yeah. a bit better it's together. A bit better, yeah. I, and you know, I suppose you know you've the scenarios, and you don't want the negativity of you know fixture clashes and, and stuff like that. And I suppose it is a tough job. You know, no one wants to do the jobs behind the scenes, organising fixtures and that. But common sense has to prevail as well. And I suppose it is up to both organisations. You know, to really be looking after the players because at the end of the day they're the ones who'll make camogie and who'll make ladies football and I think you know the little the cooperation is becoming there but it needs to keep you know progressing in that way and yeah. seeing what way both organizations can can get the most out of their players when you see coverage of women's sport do you get annoyed when it's referred to as women's sport because I, it's something that I kind of looked at a year ago and said actually why would I call it women's sport it, why just call it sport yeah is that, it's, you know, is and it? it's a little bit I refer to myself nearly as a hurler I don't yeah. need to segregate myself as a camogie player versus a hurler I think it's important to recognise that I'm a sports person yeah. uh, I'm out there I'm doing the training and I'm doing whatever but you know you're putting in the same commitment as a man it shouldn't matter you know you shouldn't be just awarded because you're a, a woman versus a man yeah. it shouldn't be seg- segregated it should be a sports person you know at at the end of the day like you know whether it's Katie Taylor going out or Brian O'Driscoll or Ursula yeah. Jacob or whoever we're sports people who are achieving at a, a high level and I think you know sometimes people get too bogged down with calling women in sport and I'm not I'm not uh, yeah. being negative about that but I think we all are just sports elite sports people yeah. rather than making the big divide because then I think you're making a bigger segregation and making yeah. a bigger issue between the two yeah you're breaking it off into something else yeah. so rather than have a specific women's sports segment yeah just have sport like exactly combine it all into one rather than having maybe in like just say something like the Sunday game like don't have all the hurling or whatever and then segregate it off to the camogie at the end maybe have a mix of the two have female analysts on speaking about you know camogie and hurling switch it around the other way and that's where you'll get the interest in maybe yeah. you know in both codes then has it improved because there's a lot more talk about it and not everyone agrees with all the arguments yeah. and all the things that are being put forward and said but it is being talked about. So has it changed things for the better in the short time that we have been talking about this? Yeah, I know it definitely has. Like, you know, even the introduction of the WGPA has massively helped. It's brought a kind of positivity to the whole side of camogie and ladies football. You know, they've really been a driving force in the last kind of year. And in fairness, a lot of credit has to go to them. And even the Camogie Association, um, you know, cooperating with them as well. And, you know, sorting out the issues last year you know with coin tosses and that but you know it it definitely has progressed but 
you can't stay stagnant either yeah. if you want to keep you know improving the game you need to look at different aspects of it different ways of promoting players you know in a positive light and getting the awareness yeah. out there to people who are not interested in sport like is it something you mind talking about because when I came down here um, to Bray and you mentioned Katie Taylor obviously this is Katie Taylor's hometown I wanted to talk to Ursula Jacob about, about Ursula Jacob but obviously you're a voice that people will listen to so I think it's important to to get your points across regards this but do you get annoyed that major uh, sports names uh, women's sports names kind of always get dragged into this conversation or is it something you think is actually important for you guys to talk about because that's how you develop things that's how you make sport grow yeah, well, I suppose the only way you can get maybe a bit more interest in maybe whether it's camogie, whether it's boxing, yeah. whether or whatever, is is speaking about it. And I suppose now that maybe I've retired, I feel a little bit more freer to maybe say stuff. Not, it yeah. doesn't have to be negative. It can be positive. It can be, you know, you can maybe voice your opinion a little bit more because if you're heavily involved in the tick of it, you can't be seen that you're, you know, you're trying to play the game one day and then you're being so critical or yeah. uh, annoyed about something. You know, and the thing is the Camogie have done great work in the last few years but then you know everything needs to move everything you know there's too much competition from other sports and from other interests for young people um, out there at the moment that Camogie really needs to, to push on and look at you know whether it's Camogie whether it's ladies football whether it's whatever you want young girls young women young lads I don't mind if it's a man or a woman as long as people are out there being active and doing stuff because that's going to improve everything you know not just from a sports point of view but all over What's next for you? Obviously a few years with the club you'll want to reclaim the All-Ireland title Uh, Owlart got to the All-Ireland semi-final last year a great year for the club Leinster champions of both the hurling and the camogie Um, is management a possibility in a few years maybe a return to goalkeeping uh, well definitely not a return to no. goalkeeping but um, I, a few people have said from the management point of view it is something I would look into in future years not obviously in the next couple of years uh, I have had the experience of being involved with WIT from an, a management point of view uh, when we won a few of the Ashburn Cups so it is something I would have an interest in I know I could bring a good bit to you know bring, bring a lot of my experience to a setup. Um, but at the moment I suppose I'll focus on and, you know, Owlert and, yeah. and keep training with them. And I'm lucky that I get to go back to such a great club as well. You know, I get to play at a high level, even though I'm not playing county at the moment. So, um, you know, I'll enjoy, I'll enjoy the club training at the moment yeah. and uh, hopefully that'll go well for us. And you didn't get much of a break, did you, between getting to that All-Ireland semi-final and then returning to club training? Well, I suppose we got... I probably got a couple of weeks longer than I would if I yeah. was playing with the county. But, you know, you kind of get used to it that you know you go from county to club to club to county and we've been fairly lucky in the last few years that we've had good success with both county and club so I suppose you're you're just going to you know embrace it and uh, you know accept that your schedule is going to be fairly hectic and you know enjoy your few weeks off and just getting the balance right I think that's the most important thing especially now that you're getting a that I'm getting that bit older that recovery and that gets a little bit tougher you know yeah. if, if you're doing a lot of sessions or whatever so um, we got a few weeks off but we're kind of back back at it now but it's nice because I kind of rather than kind of wondering what the county girls are at at least I'm kind of doing my own bit at the moment so Talk to me about the 2007 All-Ireland win that was massively important for, for two reasons I suppose one it's always good to win an All-Ireland and two the kids who would have been supporters of Wexford then would now probably be breaking into adult teams so it would have had an effect and from what you've been saying we obviously had a conversation before we started the interview it did have the effect and players are coming through 
off the springboard of that 2007 All-Ireland? Yeah, well, you look at that now, it's nearly 10 years ago. So, you know, the kids that were, like, when we won that 2007 All-Ireland, the interest in Camogie and Wexford in general was just out of this world. It's hard to actually describe even the, the, the amount of clubs that were formed from that year yeah. because there was such an interest. You know, Wexford hadn't seen celebrations like it since 96. You know, so, like, we Wexford supporters will, will celebrate anything, you know, from... <laughs> From whether it's you know winning a ping pong match or whatever, yeah. but it's a good it's a good thing too, and definitely you can see the the younger girls that are coming through now. You know, in two thousand and seven, like Katrina Park was only whatever sixteen, like, and yeah. now she's one of the senior players on the Wexford senior team. And then you've got the younger girls now that are coming in, the Una Sinnets and that who who are now breaking onto the senior team, who would have been only you know young ones supporting us up in Crow Park, and even the few of them girls last year would have said it to us that they, they'll never forget yeah. 2007 and, and that win and yeah. it was and some of them were um, playing the primary game on the pitch that day weren't yeah. they some of the, the current Wexford some team. of the current girls were playing uh, out on the pitch that day and when you look at it now you're like oh my god you don't realise the effect that yeah. that game and that win had on him and I suppose it was extra special you know it was the one All-Ireland that we won where the crowd were allowed out on the pitch yeah. and you know I remember that there was whatever 15 20,000 from Wexford there and just the place going crazy and seeing all the, the, the supporters back at the hotel in, in Stilargan and you know it had a massive knock-on effect and that's where Wexford are going to have to build from the likes of those young girls who are coming through who are 17, 18 yeah. who are knocking on to the team now because it was the first one did that mean the most to you or can you categorise all Ireland's like that you can't like Lucky you can't really categorise obviously because it was our first and because I suppose the opponents that we were playing it was Cork they were going for three in a row we were trying to make the breakthrough and we've had we had we would have had some you know hard defeats against Cork in previous years to that so from that point of view look you'll never forget your first Earl Ireland you know just the, the first time getting to play in yeah. Earl Ireland in Crow Park and to experience the big day uh, for different reasons each of the All Irelands have special kind of memories and feelings you know 2010 you know was the first of the three in a row 2011 I was captain you know that was an extra added bonus yeah. 2012 we completed the three in a row so I could look at all of the All Irelands and pick out you know massive highlights and I remember so many you know brilliant memories from each of the days and even yeah. the weeks leading up to it and then obviously you know the celebrations and the homecomings you know were things that I, you, you can only dream of because the thousands of people that came out on the, uh, the streets to support us and I, I don't mind saying it that Wexford I think have brought Camogie and the support of Camogie to another level because they'll always be there supporting the, yeah. you know the girls and we get one of the best supports you know in Ireland and you know the All-Irelands that Wexford have been in have been you know very high attendances and yeah. it's definitely you know a credit to the Wexford supporters for that yeah. and just before I let you go for younger player or a pan- player who's breaking onto the panel now rang you and said look can I have some advice what would be the key messages you'd give them definitely enjoy it um, like as I said earlier that was something that I was told from the, the very you know get go enjoy it and then you'll you'll yeah. you'll, you'll uh, 
enjoy, play better. Uh, respecting the people that are there and that are involved in this setup is something massive. That I think if you respect people, you know, and it's respecting other opponents and players too. You know, you can be wanting to go out and beat a team or uh, you know mark a player, but you know you can do it with respect as well. Um, and I suppose. You know, don't have any regrets in 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 playing, and kind of if you get the opportunity to play with Wexford, you know, or whoever, or your club, take it as such an honour because that was something. No matter what, up until my very last game last year, I still found it such an honour to represent Wexford, and I still find it a massive honour representing my club. It's nice to get to go back to the you know the club where I started first, and. I just think if you if you see that you know where you started and what where you're going you know you'll you'll enjoy it more and play better then. I was about to say enjoy retirement, but um, <laughs> I also read in that article with Clean a couple of weeks ago that you're marked by Mary Lacey in training, and oh. that's uh, that does not sound like a fun retirement. So uh, you know a lot of uh, a lot of work to do with the club still, and uh, and I know you're still very busy. But look, thanks for talking to us. This chapter is closed, but there are many chapters still to be written for you. Thank you. No bother. Thanks, million. Wexford's Ursula Jacob on her inter-county career and a whole host of other issues. That's it for the Rewind on News Talk this week. Don't forget, Richie and I are back on Wednesday with the SSE Airtricity League podcast. Off the ball on every night this week from 7 and Saturday from 12 and Sunday from 1. Next weekend, or next Monday, I should say, we'll have a reaction to a very busy weekend. We've got the Allianz League football finals, including the Division 1 decider, between Kerry and Dublin in Croke Park. Off the ball, we'll have two live and exclusive Premier League matches next Sunday. Sunderland taking on Arsenal at 1.30 and Leicester welcome Swansea at 4. We'll have analysis of both. Until next week, take care. Good luck. Rewind with Oisín Langan.